This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Lena. I'm Matt Henry. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Mark. So today we're going to talk about grace. That was hard for you to say, wasn't it? <laughs> Very you hard. You wanted to say more. <laughs> there should have, I feel like there should have been more to say, but yeah. the title is What is Grace? So today we're talking about grace. And the reason is because when people think on grace, depending on who you're talking to, they could mean or understand different things. So, for instance, um, Catholics and Protestants have different understandings of grace and the purpose of it and how it's attained and how it functions in the life of, of a Christian. So, Catholics, for instance, you know, think of grace as a, a kind of commodity. Uh, they have to do certain things to, to attain it, um, whereas Pro- Protestants can be all over the map on this. Sadly, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, sometimes... Hence our podcast. Right, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, what are, what are some things that Protestants... What have you heard? All right, a, a sweet disposition, a person's very, very gracious, a gracious attitude, that that kind of an idea of kindness. Yeah. Um, or you're just going to say grace, meaning... Be- before pray, a meal, pray. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Um, then there's also, like, I grew up. Did you do Awana? Oh, I got the Timothy Award. Wow. I didn't know what the Timothy Award that is. That is like the highest level. Is that like where you did you all, got everything the Timothy on that? Award? Oh, man, I went all the way through. See, oh. people think I was a chump when I was a kid. but Because well, you, okay. you were. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I still so, don't know what a Timothy Award is. It's like the it's the very... It's like the graduation. The big one. The, after it's you get like through an all Eagle the Scout. Yeah. yeah. But for Awana. Sure. sure. Yeah, how, okay. old were, how old were you at? Sixth grade. Okay. See, I they didn't even have it when I was. A I kid, was an so. approved workman. Well, that's it. Oh, I see how that works. Yeah, that Tim- makes sense. Timothy, were. yep. You weren't saved though, were you? Mm-hmm. Probably not. <laughs> but anyhow, <laughs> aside from that, uh, did you guys learn grace acronym? God's riches at Christ's expense. No, that's a new one to me. I mean, that I heard it from you. Okay, but. I grew up with that, and. Yeah. Um, so that's another one. Uh, I mean, a lot of people, if you say, what's grace? If they been went to Sunday school or something like that, they a lot of times will just use that acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. Yeah. And that's right. It just tends to lack any sense of right. what does that real mean? meaning. Yeah. yeah. Um, or, you know, people just, they'll, they'll think grace is something you get from God that now results in salvation. Yeah. Yeah, but it, but again, it's something that's very vague mm-hmm. in the minds of people, and that's the part that's uh, troubling. And so, recently, we've seen a rise in something that's very very dangerous, um, and it keeps cropping up. Um, yeah, back in the eighties, I remember a theologian called Zane Hodges out of Dallas Theological Seminary. He uh, he wrote a book on free grace. And um, it's this this idea of what I would call a hyper grace or or a cheap uh, saving grace, uh, but it's very similar to our traditionalist uh, idea that we did when we went through the traditionalist um, 
what what was that confession yeah. statement, um, of statement of faith there you go um but it's this idea of eternal security it literally said in one of hodge's books that if you said the sinner's prayer at some point and then from that point on you publicly and willfully rejected jesus christ in every possible way it didn't matter you were still saved um, the end result of all of this was John actually wrote, uh, John MacArthur wrote a book that set the whole Protestant world on fire um, called The Gospel According to Jesus. I was going to say, is that where the whole lordship controversy That's where the whole thing yeah. came from, okay. was he was having to step up and say, look, somewhere along the line, we've lost sight of what real grace is and saving grace is. And we that kind of backed away. It became... Uh, kind of a back burner issue. And then a guy named Tulian Chavidjan, if I can say that correct, mm -hmm. uh, he made it all popular again um, as he was talking about how you really can't outdo God's grace. And, and in some aspects, he's correct, but he went, again, that hyper-grace uh, route, which is, of course, very helpful because during the time that he was doing all this teaching, <laughs> yeah. he's involved in multiple adulterous affairs mm -hmm. and and now in fact he's still marketing himself yeah. off of this whole saving grace mm -hmm. free grace stuff and he's still selling his his uh, teaching yeah see i could do that but now look i'm still the product yep. of, of grace and i was just yep. making more money off that so deal. It, it's really deadly <laughs> yeah. but but you compare that to reformed theology uh, where there's this distinction that will come in of when we're talking about grace there's two aspects to it there's going to be both the common grace and the saving grace. And the reason for that is that when you look at the scripture, there are two different ways that you see God uh, dealing with humanity in different situations. Um, it's not so much that it's two kinds of grace. There's only one grace, the grace of God, but it's how it manifests itself or aspects or um, dispensing of that grace, uh, how God goes about doing it. So you are going to explain for us the common grace. Yeah. So I, I have a quote here, um, and this comes from Louis Burkhoff and his systematic theology. He says, common grace curbs the destructive power of sin, maintains in a measure the moral order of the universe, thus making an orderly life possible, distributes in varying degrees gifts and talents among men, promotes the development of science and art, and showers untold blessing upon the children of men. And that's opposed to children of God. It's just people in general. So what's his name? I say Louis Burkhoff. You sure it's not Louis? I don't know. I don't either. I always said Louis. You could be right. Let's ask our fans, all three of them. I've heard of well, Louis. Because it's L. <laughs> I'm just shortening it. <laughs> I mean, one of them. Louis Lou Armstrong. Lou Burkhoff. L. B. It's kind of like what you would call him over a beer. Hey, Louis, come yeah. over here. Let's yeah. talk about cheap grace. <laughs> All right. So, so he <laughs> he um he he's he's helpful because he he breaks this idea then of, of common grace into three general categories, three different categories. And so the first one he talks about is just God's care and creation, that this is a common grace distributed to all of men, but his creation as a whole. And he gets these from, you know, passages like Colossians 1.17, Hebrews 1.3, that God upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so the fact that everything stays together and keeps moving is, is simply a, a grace of God. Which very few people actually think that way, but... If they would actually spend some time think about it, there's no there's no 
rule that says God has to keep everything running the way at all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we just assume that when we sit in a chair, the atoms are going to function the way they're supposed to function. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's actually just grace. I mean, our whole existence is, is that, that the fact that he's caring for his creation. Yeah. And I'm thankful for that. Right. Um, also God provides, we know this from scripture, um, that he provides seasons, seed time and harvest. Um, th- this is just God's general provision, provision, things like food, shelter, and clothing. I think of the Matthew, Matthew 6 passage, um, you know, observe the lilies of the field. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, there's more splendor there than even Solomon in all of his glory, you know, are not two perils, sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one will fall from the father's hand. And so there's just grace there. He provides for his creatures. Um, and what's interesting is not only does he provide needs, um, but also the enjoyment of those needs. And so, you know, I'll go into a restaurant and I'll look people, they, they won't bow their head and give thanks for that meal. They're just un, regular unbelievers, but they're enjoying that food. And that, that's just pure grace. That's not deserved. That's not earned. And again, on, on the day of judgment, when their hearts are being shown for what they were and are, um, it's those little things that are going to be shown to be not so little, how they they did not, like Romans 1 says, uh, they didn't give thanks nor honor him as God. Right. Um, it's this idea that everything you did, all of that pleasure, all of that joy, all of that laughter and everything else, it's just gone. Um, and, and never once did you pause to give thanks to the one who gave it to you and gave you the ability to enjoy it. It's, yeah. it's a frightening idea. And then yeah. the idea that all in hell, that will be utterly removed. So whatever right. a person thinks is a bad day here, <laughs> they you don't know, understand. It's, yeah. yeah, yeah, they don't yeah. have any sense of the horror that awaits. And, and with this one too, and we were reflecting on this walking through the streets of Ethiopia, um, why some children or people can enjoy New York Strip and this person got born here you know, where they have nothing and they're working 12 hour days so they could have a, a corn in the cob, yeah. you know, that's just pure grace. They, they did nothing. And yet. They just, they're born in a <laughs> difficult situation. Yeah. yeah. That's their life. And they fact, don't deserve more. And the other person doesn't deserve less. It's just what God, yep. this is grace. Yeah. Um, another one, Matthew chapter five and verse 44, it says that God causes the rain to fall on both the just and the unjust. Um, th- this, of course, is written in the context where Jesus is commanding his disciples love for enemies. Um, and so certainly when you take a step back, um, th- this applies to God's enemies as well. Those who are indifferent, those who, you know, give not much thought to God, as we were just saying, yet they still receive his many blessings. Um, they re- receive all that that God gives and enriches life and flourishes life and those kinds of things. Uh, a next category is also human structure and structures. This is the idea of the family. Um, you know, generally even the worst of pagans will feel the need to raise their children. Well, now they might not know what that looks like, but they desire the well-being right. for their children and their families. Right. Um, you know, e- even Secular, secular sociolo- uh, sociologists will realize that the family structure is really the central unit to an entire society. And so um, once, once the family unit breaks down, you have the com- complete breakdown and degradation of society itself. And so everything's built around that. Um, and so God's common grace in keeping families together, who again, give not one thought to him, um, but yet there's love there, there's intimacy, there's joy, there's laughter, there's a care. All of that is just general grace. Um, and then 
more broadly expanded to the rest of society. Um, so that that's the first one that that Ber Berkhoff sees. He, he sees a care in creation. Um, a second one then is the restraint of sin, which is huge. Yeah. And again, yeah, think about that. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, what I hope we can do some small way in this is mm -hmm. that as people listen, that they they come to grips with the fact that grace is flowing in a constant manner yeah. uh, from the throne room of God. He, I mean, it, every time they enjoy, I mean, we're coming to springtime in Wisconsin, mm -hmm. right? And so finally the buds are starting to show. And I know that in, in just a week or two, we're going to enjoy the smell of lilacs, you know, and it's like, I love that time. I, I just mm -hmm. love sitting outside and everyone's enjoying it. It's, it's pure grace. We don't deserve it. And, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so restraint of sin yeah. though, is even better. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, and better than lilacs. Perhaps more foundation. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Um, <laughs> put it all together. That's why we have you that's here. That's why you have, that's yeah. Common. You are yeah. the glue that holds us. Okay. So, um, <laughs> you couldn't even finish that, could you? You're like, no, we can't go there. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. Okay, so the restraint of sin. Obviously, the biggest one with this is the existence and the establishment of government. Um, Romans 13, 1 and 4, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Why? For there is no authority except from God. So that's a pretty big statement. All authority, every authority comes from God himself, and those which exist are established by God. For it is a minister of God to do you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. Why? For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. And so it's clear here that God establishes government and he does it for the good of people. That's grace. Um, we know government is imperfect in many ways, primarily because it's made up of sinful right, man, right. <laughs> but it's still referred to interestingly in this passage as the minister of God. Um, again, the purpose of it's to limit that sinful behavior and, and not let wickedness reign. Um, What's fascinating, though we're not going to get into this, is the gymnastics that Christian leaders will do to try to get this passage to say the exact opposite of what it says, how we can resist government, how it's right, uh, right. it has to only function in certain right. ways, and then, then we'll call it a, something that's good. And it's like... Boy, this was written in Nero. I was going to say, yeah, it's um, in the midst yeah. of Caesar yeah. burning Christians. And, yeah, uh, but go um, ahead. And I'll, we'll just say a quick note on this. This is a whole podcast reserved for itself. But um, having said all this, judicial realities of government are not, at least biblically speaking, to function as restorative entities, um, but punitive. Which is a whole social justice issue that... Yeah, bubbling around. There, there's no biblical obligation on government to perform that that duty. Now, if they do... Maybe we could talk about that as being another category of grace, but that's not the requirement and mandate of government as it no, it's instituted punish. by God. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So to restrain sin, that's the second common grace. A third one that, that Burkhoff talks about is man's conscience. Um, he gets this from Romans 2, 14 and 15. He says, um, he's talking here about unbelieving Gentiles uh, who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves. Do not do what the law requires. Why? Because they're a law to themselves. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Um, and so with that, it's clear that fallen sinful man inherently possess a sense of right and wrong or good and evil. Um, all, all people 
to various degrees, um, culture conditions this, family conditions this, but all people have something what theologians refer to as a judicial sentiment. Um, people are, are typically outraged at the presence of injustice, um, especially you know when it's committed against them. Um, and to be frank, they should be. Um, why? Because this is a God-given sentiment. Um, this is due to the fact that all people possess the image of God. And so in our fallen state, that image has been marred, of course, which is why not everything that some people claim to be an injustice is actually a true justice, but it's nevertheless a, a reality. Right, right. So, so those are the three categories that Brokoff talks about is just being common grace. There's nothing saving here. There's nothing salvific. This is just keeping creation moving in a way that's undeserved, but we would call good. Yeah, and it's that undeserved that's going to be important, especially now as we transition to the idea of saving grace. But uh, all grace is undeserved. It's 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 by its inherent nature that's what grace is. Um, and over and over and over again, we we find this with the heart of mankind is that we think somehow we deserve something, mm-hmm. something from God that, and so that this is, and we see it with our children, right? When you, you've got little ones and they don't get the cookie that they were hoping for and they're throwing a little attitude, you know, that they, they actually somehow think that they're deserving of that. You're like, you'll get a cookie only because I choose yeah. to <laughs> give you a cookie. And right now you're not going to get a cookie. Um, and, and they don't see that as an act of grace. Um, and we as an adults, we just do it maybe in a more subtle manner, sometimes not so subtle, but it's important that it's undeserved. That's that's the point. So saving grace then is different in the sense that the motive and method of salvation that the Bible talks about is by grace. It's it's undeserved, but how a person is saved is also going to be by grace, just like how we receive any good gift from God such as ice cream, that's grace. So too with salvation, that's how he's going to interact with um, what we would say his elect. Um, so in the Old Testament, there's all kinds of terms that get used. Um, uh, they they all ultimately emphasize, though, the sovereignty of God. That's that's part of this grace that we, we often forget, um, that God is sovereignly choosing to save people, to show grace to them. So in uh, uh, Romans, Genesis 6, 8, it says that uh, Noah found favor, literally um, grace. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It wasn't that he was something special and therefore God said, you deserve to be saved. It was God showed his grace to Noah and his family. Or in Exodus 33, 19, when uh, talking about uh, the choosing of Israel, God says, I myself will make all of my goodness, oh wait, no, that's not the one. It was, I was thinking another passage. This is where um, uh, he is speaking to Moses and he says, show me your glory. And he says, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Um, that one is so, so important to just, let it sink in. You know, first of all, he he connects grace and compassion uh, together here, um, but it's not something earned. It's something given by God and actually decided upon by God. He looks and he yeah. says, "I'm going to I'm going to show you compassion," and and you ask yourself, "What did I do?" And it's like 
nothing. That's the that's point. The point. Yeah. And yet, mm-hmm. as a pastor, I can't tell you how many times I ha- I've had people, and that's very precious, where they'll be in tears and they're just like, I, you know, they're usually young Christians having come out of a lot of folly, and they're like, I just don't know why. Why would he save me? And I'm like. Praise God that your salvation doesn't depend on you understanding his grace because (laughs) (laughs) because you're still thinking about what it is that I did to deserve it. And you did nothing to deserve it. And you will never be able to do anything to deserve it. God showed his grace to you. And and that's why. And so just be eternally grateful for the fact that he was incredibly, infinitely kind to you. there's another one. It says, the Lord passed in uh, front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Again, a, a statement of both his judicial wrath, mm-hmm. but also only one one aspect of his judicial wrath, but multiple uh, examples of the way that he shows his kindness, his grace, his uh, mercy, his uh, forgiveness. Um, that it's all, it is who God is and it is what God does. But then you go into the New Testament and the same idea gets picked back up. Um, it's how God saves sinners. Um, and it's free. And we'll talk about that in a moment, but it's free and it's unmerited. It's unearned. Um, it's as simple as that. Now, that goes all the way back to what you said at the very beginning, or did I? I don't remember. One of us said about within Roman Catholicism, grace is a commodity uh, that we can earn. Mm-hmm. And and yet it's by its very nature contrary to what grace is. It It's unearned. Um, and that's what's the idea behind free. We think of free like free candy, um, but it's not the point. What it means is uh, it's um, how do how do I, I, I let me let me think about how to say it because saving grace was exceptionally costly. Right. I mean, it cost Christ. It cost His life. It cost. Um, him to become a man and humble himself to the point of death even. Uh, somehow people think that um, God looks at us like a litter of cute puppies that need to be saved from being put down. And that he looks down and says, oh, you're so sweet. Let me save you. And they, he takes pity on you because of your cuteness. But that's not how it is at all. Yeah, there, you have as here as um, there's no external compulsion. It's something which comes from the that's the yeah, word I was trying for, for yeah from from the center of his own will and desire and being. That's where he, so he's not reacting right 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 yeah to something outside of him. This is sovereign in, in every sense. And that's when so that's what we mean when we we speak about it. Free grace. It's that he didn't look at us and something external from him mm-hmm. motivated him to act. It was right. purely from himself. In fact, what he looks at are wretched <laughs> enemies who yeah. are offensive in every way, and he chooses within him, his own self to take that pity. And that's what Ephesians 2 says. Um, this is a long quote, but it's, it's such a good one. Uh, just listen to what uh, Paul says in verses 1 through 10. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So that's our state. We're, we're dead. Um, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, 
according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And then he says, among them too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by children, or nature, children of wrath, even as rest. So that's that's us. Uh, all of humanity is that, and even every Christian was that, formally. And then the wonderful words, but God, in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, so he's emphasizing our negative state, not anything that was beautiful in us, uh, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then the famous passage, right? For, and now he's going to explain all that. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Uh, so it's by grace that we're saved. And the means or the instrument is it's going to come through, uh, through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I mean, the whole thing is just pure grace. All we had to offer him was our sin. Our sin. Yeah. yeah. Our sin. <laughs> our we had deadness. nothing. We, our deadness, our our lusts, our rebellion. And God, in spite of that, acted on our behalf. Um, that's the backdrop that, that he gives to us. And then God's response is grace, pure grace. So while we were still dead, he didn't make us somehow clean up our act. He didn't have any of that. It was just simply God made us alive. That's regeneration. He brings us as uh, joint heirs and participants in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and even his glorification. All of those are ours simply because God has acted. Um, and the purpose of it is verse 7. It's to be trophies basically of his grace. Um, and I, I think that People also forget that, that for all eternity, we will be examples to the angelic beings and to one another of what grace looks like. Um, and that's a very humbling, humbling thing. So this grace then is seen so many ways as beyond the ability to do it justice uh, in, in a podcast. Obviously, entire books and multiple volumes have been written on it. But just think about uh, some of the ways the Bible describes it. Um, it's by grace that he elects some to salvation. Um, and all of this, he says, occurred before time. Um, it's, it's grace that's upon us, even in our state of sin and rebellion. That's one that always gets me. From our perspective, we were sinners in rebellion. Um, but from God's perspective, we were sinners upon whom grace was already resting. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the fun things is to listen to people talk about their their conversion and how they were doing this and this and this. And sometimes you'll hear about near death experiences. You know, what what you know, a bomb blows up and the guy right next to me just disappears. Um, I remember a guy in in jail and he was talking about how he was being crushed under a car due to a bad accident, rolled over on top of him, and literally was crushing him to death. And and then. People were able at the last second to flip the car over and save him. Um, and he was just like, well, you know, 
man, isn't that crazy? And in my mind, I'm thinking, no, because you were never going to die because God's grace was resting upon you, even though you were in just wretched sin and he didn't come to faith years later until years later, still God's grace is upon them. And every person who saved, Mm -hmm. even in their sin, they were recipients of this grace that was guiding them toward that moment. It's it's mind-boggling. Um, we have this grace that enters into our awareness when we hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit uh, enlivens us or regenerates us. Um, and we believe, right? I, that's just grace. Why, why did you believe that time? Because God showed his grace. Um, yeah, even, a, even your belief is a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole thing is, is just, a, just this outpouring of God's grace as he guides blind, rebellious people into salvation. Um, he gives us the Holy Spirit to seal us so that we're kept safe. I think it was John MacArthur that said it once. He said, if we could lose our salvation, we would. You know, <laughs> I mean, my yeah. my lack of faith is incredible at times. Um, praise God, it's not my faith that saves me. It's, it's God's eternal grace. Um, and all of this is... The results in all of the benefits of Christ, uh, yeah, Christ's cross work and what He did upon it for us. Um, it's His grace that opens up the throne room of grace, right? So in Hebrews, He says that we can, with boldness, come before the Father because Christ has opened the way. Um, everything that the Bible describes as being ours because we're in Christ is because of of grace. Um, we've died with Christ, we've been raised with Christ, we we will live forever with Christ, all because of that. I, all of that just blows anyone who's giving it careful thought, it just blows their mind. Yeah, yeah. So how's that work out? So, yeah, so I, so I talked about common grace, um, just God working out that that disposition of himself in the world to just keep it moving in ways that are good and joyful and beneficial to us. Um, and then you talked about how that then works itself out specifically in terms of salvation. Sure. So um, let's then talk about how, how we apply this. And here you have a lot of people who talk about means of grace. That's a common phrase I hear a lot. Um, you know, these are the ways in which grace is now appropriated to us. Um, and so there's been a lot of historical and theological thought on on this. Um, for instance, the the Roman Catholic view, um, they have both word and sacrament. That's how grace comes. And there's seven sacraments in the Catholic faith. And so you need to do certain things so that as you do them, grace flows right. through that. And they have this thing called nature, grace, interdependence. Which is fascinating. And we got to do a podcast someday on that. But Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's so it's, it's through these, these natural means of, of creation that grace comes. This is why you got to get the Eucharist in you yep. because when you do grace is somehow inserted in you. Well, um, that's how the water saves you too. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is in the Catholic faith that requires zero faith. Uh, <laughs> um, grace isn't connected to faith at all. In fact, they have a term, a Latin phrase called ex opera operata, which just means from the doing of the doing of it, that j- just do the act and grace comes. You don't have to have faith. You don't have to even know what you're doing. Just get the baby baptized. Just, you know, get the bread in you. It's fascinating because uh, it, that's true on both sides of the equation. The parents just got to get the kid in there, get baptized. And if the um, priest is a pedophile who happens to be 
drunk off his rear, as long as he says the right words in the mm-hmm. right order, in the right way, yep. bam, that yeah. kid's that kid's okay. Yeah, that's why you do the confessionals, yep. your Hail Marys, your yep. Our Fathers. It's all, it's, yeah. Yeah, all those things. So, so in the Roman Catholic world, grace comes through word and sacrament, and specifically these seven sacraments. In the Lutheran view, it shifted then from word and sacrament to simply word. Um, mm-hmm. You even see this in how... Um, you know, the deal is set up within the the sanctuary. Um, in Catholicism, you know, the very at the very center of that is is the Eucharist because that's central. That's how grace comes. That's that's where everything in the service is driving toward that moment that you can take that Eucharist. In the Protestant world, of course, that is no longer central, but what's central is the pulpit. Yeah. Um, because it's now the word and the word alone through which um grace comes to us. Um there, there's also the mystic view. These are partly Anabaptists, but but God works directly in the heart by means of the Holy Spirit. Um, that's how grace comes to us. And then, of course, in the Reformed view, and I'm talking capital R Reformed here, uh, God uses baptism and the Lord's Supper as what they'll call ordinary means of grace. Right. Um, there, there's nothing salvific there. Um, but it's just one of God's means through which he strengthens believers in an ordinary ongoing way to pursue sanctification, persevere, all those kinds of things. Now, when you say reformed with a capital R, that's Presbyterian, Presbyterian. Christian reformed, yeah. uh, things things like that. Um, Correct. Not Baptist. Yeah. Well, not, not, unless you're... Re- well, and, no, I don't even think reformed Baptist would, I think... I don't, you know what? I don't know what they would say. Um, if they, if they do view an element of kind of a, if the Lord's Supper is a means of grace. Yeah, that, I don't know what they mean by that. You yeah. could ask James White. <laughs> sure. Or not. I don't know. Sure, um, I'm sure he's listening. <laughs> hey, with my name? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Brought my my name? From the dead. Hey, then he'd be upset that Matthew Henry doesn't know this. It's like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyhow. So we would say, so those are the views. Those are, I mean, there's some historical thought on that, theological thought, but we would say what is most important is to just stick with the text of scripture. What does the Bible say about grace? Um, and so when, when you examine the scriptures, um, we can safely conclude that grace isn't a substance, i.e. Roman Catholic theology, some Protestant views. Yeah. Um, it's not infused. It's not imparted to a person. It's not this kind of gas or substance that, that changes a person's constitution or their essence in any way. And so it's not the, this commodity that you're, you're trying to get or attain. Which is very much the Roman Catholic view, though. And I mean, it's as crass as there is this whole labor of grace up in heaven that you can... Yeah basically access yeah. and it's the excess goodness treasure of, of merits yeah the yeah. treasury of merits right yeah. the it, it's frightening right but yeah we could if we do this or if we pay this money or we say that then we can get another ladle full of that it's it's completely contrary to scripture mm-hmm. even and some lutheran views on things like baptism as well sure um we would say when you examine the biblical data and the text of scripture, you always find that grace is a disposition or an attitude which finds its source in the essential character of God itself. And I use essential in a technical sense that that by the very essence of who God is and what he is, he is grace. Um, And so grace, that disposition, that attitude to favor a person comes from the centrality of God's person. Um, And so 
this 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 disposition then results in benefits being given to another person um, or the one being shown grace. And so it has nothing to do that's with something being inherent to the object of grace. Um, there's nothing in you that's lovely. There's nothing in you deserving. Rather, it's a completely one-sided thing flowing from the gracious desire right. in the subject, who in this case, of course, is God. So how does this affect the the believer then? Well, first of all, we are to accept that, right? It, it, we're, we're to embrace the idea that this is something completely unmerited. It's something that flows from God. But then it's also befitting for us then to model that to one another. Um, and one of the examples of that would just be a parable that Christ gave out of Matthew 18. And I won't take the time to read the whole thing, but people should rec- recognize it where um, there was a slave that had owed way too much and uh, there was no chance for him to be able to repay it. Um, and the, the Lord of that slave showed compassion um, and released him and, and forgave him of that debt. Now, this debt was beyond comprehension. There's no way this guy was ever going to do it in multiple lifetimes. But then the slave turns around and finds another slave, a fellow slave, so one just like right. him, and with a minimal debt that he owed and he immediately demands that you have to pay it. You, you, and he treats him in the, in the worst of ways. Well, this gets back to the Lord. The Lord brings his slave before him. And basically, well, he says overtly, he said, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Uh, He says, my heavenly father will do also the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from their heart, from your heart, which is a frightening statement. Mm, Um, But it it is a mindset that if you are genuinely one of God's children, it is, it is incumbent upon you to model the same kind of grace, uh, freely forgiving people, um, you know, releasing them from their debts, uh, releasing them from the things that you hold against them and that you have against them. Um, in fact, Paul says it in a much more uh, simple way. He says, as those who have been chosen of God, which is a statement of grace, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're the elect of God. How did we become the elect? God's grace. A holy and beloved, he says, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as, and so now if you're still not clear what he means, he's Mm -hmm. like, and if you wonder what that means, it's just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond this, uh, put on love, which is a perfect bond of unity. Um, There's this incredible connection between grace and compassion and forgiveness and such. Um, And there's this, there is to be in the Christian's heart uh, an awareness of greatness of God's grace toward me, how how much he has shown me that grace. And therefore, in return, we ought to show it to one another. Uh, it should be the mark of fellowship. It should be the mark of God's saving work in our lives that we're quick to forgive and overlook and, and care for each other. So... Um, that's one, uh, or a couple of them. There's also Romans 10 where um, 
Paul is talking about the serious situation of his fellow Israelites, and he's incredibly burdened. He's actually so burdened um, that he's willing to become accursed if they would believe. He'd be willing to go to hell uh, just that they might believe. Um, but in all of that, he he says that out of that should cause us to have a desire to go to the people who do not know the gospel yeah. and share the gospel because they need grace. They need to be saved. And the only way that they can see this and have this and experience this grace is going to be by the grace of God coming through the gospel, right? So how how do we do it? We do it when we open our mouths, and we bring the gospel to those who don't know it. So one of the things that drive me crazy, I know it does with you from our conversations, is the doctrines of grace. Or mm-hmm. um, I actually had a debate early on in my pastorate <laughs> sure. uh, among some guys on whether it was the doctrine singular or doctrines of grace. Right. And I'm, I'm like, oh, my goodness. You guys are really going to spend time. And they were. They were spending hours debating which one it was. Um, it, it, that's not the point. <laughs> um, the whole point about the doctrines of grace is, is what people will call Calvinism. Um, but when we deal with that purely in the theological realm, it, it becomes very cold or angry. And so we like to jokingly call these guys the cage uh, Calvinists, right? Stage, yeah, cage yeah, stage, yeah. yeah. And it's it's not pretty. I mean, you that they're down on everybody's throat. They're they're in their face, and they're demanding everybody to buy into this. But it's not the biblical picture. Um, many who theologically grasp the doctrines of grace have never really come to understand how that manifests itself in their own life. Um, if if you have been shown that much grace, then it should drip from you. Mm-hmm. You, it should it should drip from your lips and your hands. You should be full of grace toward your fellow sinner because you realize that everything you have is by grace, including the ability to understand the doctrines of grace. It's all right. God's mercy. So, yeah. so, uh, so to be clear, though, we hold to Calvinism. Oh yeah, or the doctrines. <laughs> doctrines we, of grace. we, we yeah. fervently believe it, and, th- and we'll push for it. We'll even fight for it. Yeah. But but never should we abandon a heart of grace. But what you're saying is a right understanding of it produces something right, which is a true grace yeah. being shown to people. Yeah, yeah. You um, know, yeah. There, if not, you end up into what's uh, it's a hyper Calvinist. Yeah, where it's just you know it's cold and it's cold spirited and 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 wrong. It's, uh, so yeah, yeah. So you have in here you added a section to to close, and we can close out with this um, title: "Living in the Presence of Grace." You want to talk about that? Yeah, it's just we talk about everything we do from the beginning of our life to the end of it. It's going to be by grace. So how how do we live in that presence? Um, and there's a there's several ways I thought of going at it, but in Second Peter three eighteen it says that we are called by God to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so the question becomes, how, how is that done? How, how do we grow in in grace? Um, and this is where we forget what grace is again. We think that we must do X, Y, or Z, mm. and then we earn the favor of the Lord. So you see a lot of Christians who were saved by grace and are being kept by grace, but they somehow forgot that. And so they're constantly flinching before their mm-hmm. Lord. They're, they're afraid. They're, mm-hmm. they're aware that they failed. They're, they're, I, how many times I've heard people who have stopped praying because they've sinned yet again 
And it's like, what's that got to do with you praying? Right. And it's well, and and having fallen into that over the years myself, it's that we forget grace. We mm-hmm. forget that God has received us not by our works, but by simple same, grace. Same thing when we, um, and we'll both say it from if we're leading Lord's Supper from the pulpit is a lot of people because they've sinned again. I'm not going right. to take the Lord's Supper. We'll take, yeah. Which actually is the very reason you ought to take the Lord's yes. Supper. Yes, yes. <laughs> because the Lord's Supper reminds you of the grace and the forgiveness you have in Christ. Um, and so they're like, well, you know, this is a holy deal and I can't touch this until I feel like I'm Yeah, more I remember acceptable. growing up in the church and it seemed like every time I took the Lord's Supper, I was confessing sin while before I took the elements. It yeah, try, like, and hoping that you got them all. You didn't want to end up dead. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, stop confessing sin and just I got reflect a on what your Lord has accomplished, you know? It's you know like, and that's why we emphasize over and over again that the one exception that would be the break in unity. If, if right. you are at odds with another person and, and you have not done everything in your power to make right with that, um, because at that point now you're not showing grace right. yeah. to these individuals. There's something that's broken, but beyond that, it's it's a celebration of the grace that has been given you. So yeah, yeah so common that we fail to understand what grace is in our day to day walk. But the reality is that to grow in the grace of God is to simply grow in the understanding of who Christ is, who God is. That's what he means when he says, "Grow in the grace and." Um, the grace and knowledge of our Lord. They're connected, yeah. yeah they're connected. Yeah. The way you grow in grace is to grow in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The better you understand him and what he has done on your behalf and what you have because you are now in Christ, the more fully then you'll see that grace in your life. Yeah. So in other words, you're you're saying because because we understand and have defined grace as a disposition or an attitude of God, um, this isn't a substance or an essence we're trying to get more exactly. of. Exactly. Yeah. So you're growing more into a fuller, richer, r- robust knowledge of that disposition of God toward us. Exactly. It's, so it's not that there's some ocean there and we can drink more yeah. of it. I don't know if this would be, I always get worried when I start wandering around away from our script, but <laughs> it would be more like we're in an ocean of grace, and we we just need to dive deeper into it. I mean, it's ours. We're in it, and we're surrounded by it, but we're in a little shallow tidal pool thinking, ooh, you know, (laughs) and and it's like, oh, dude, you have no idea what's going to happen when you step off the edge and go plunge fully into it. It's Mm -hmm. But it was never, it's all yours because God is fully and totally and eternally gracious. And so the trick is, to grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ, which is where the insidious evil of Satan works as he he limits the amount of preaching and teaching that comes in the pulpits today, right? Yeah. So that you, you're not yeah. going to learn it through the, the, the church. Um, people don't want to read their Bibles, and then they scratch their head and they wonder why they struggle. Um, it's just this lack of understanding that God has revealed himself in his word. And if you'll just commit yourself to considering that and dwelling upon that and and consuming that, if you will, what will happen is that your grasp of his grace will grow. Yeah. Because so, you'll you'll understand God better. That's why we're doing the podcast. Right. Theology matters, doctrine matters. And fables matter. Yeah. In a bad way. 
Correct. So, so in Hebrews 4.16, it says he actually commands you and I to draw near to the throne of grace so that we might find more grace. And so it's like, well, see, that sounds like it's a substance, but it's not. It's not tied to our efforts, but rather it's tied to verse 15, where we see that Jesus is our perfect and sympathetic high priest. And because he's our perfect and sympathetic high priest, there's no hindrance at all to the throne. I mean, it's it's a broad highway that's moving forward. It's like in the airport, one of those moving sidewalks. It's literally pushing us into mm-hmm. his throne room. Christ has opened it all the way. And because of his gracious work as our priest, um, we are able to come before the Father as what we are, saved children. Yeah. But that we're his children and he loves us. Um, not because we've done better today, uh, but be simply because yeah. we're his it's, children. It's again, it's battle of the mind. Oh man, and and, and the ability to preach to your own heart. So, um, so real quick, yeah. then. So that's what Paul then says, right in Romans eight. Mm-hmm. He's, I mean, you can almost hear the exasperation in his voice. He's like, if he has given us his son, will he not yeah. all the more give us everything else? And we're like, well, I'm not so sure. And you're like. Oh, go back to the cross and think about what it was that the Father did in this display of his love toward us. They gave us his only son. Um, it's not our excellent spiritual disciplines. It's not our incredible faithfulness. It's, it's because the Father has already given on our behalf the most precious gift, and that's his son. And that's why we pray in his name. That's how we come into the throne room because of him. Everything is because of Christ, and and He is the display of how much grace has been given to us, which is eternal. 